Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? Is this a good time to bring up Ashington as a, as yeah, a, yeah, as yeah. a parallel? I think, I think it is. So, so episode, I believe it was episode two, is my favorite episode. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. But we really dug into, and I think really like uh, discovered um, maybe the best case for an environment that dictated um, development from it from a soccer perspective from a sporting perspective and and if you remember in that episode we talked specifically about the way in which this mining town constructed the the village where people lived created a perfect environment for boys to play boys because we're talking 1910 1920 1930 1940 England so it was a boys thing but boys to play in the street um, and from that the 1966 World Cup is owed to Ashington England because they don't win the World Cup without Bobby and Jackie Charlton and this four decade span and this two generational span had so many professional players that came out of Ashington and we really went into that deep in episode two but when you talk about the female side of soccer and how different culturally we have we have looked we have looked at both men and women or boys and girls and set them up on the path for where they end up ashington is also a great example because andy brought up when we were discussing this this episode and what we were going to discuss that that the the way the villages were constructed the girls played somewhere different than the boys and the moms looked after the girls in a totally different side of the street than the boys am i going down the right path andy yeah, you, you said Ashington is a great example, and it's a great example of sexism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's a yeah, great yeah, yeah. example of misogyny. It's it's a great example, if you like, of geneticism. You know, we're genetically born a certain way. If you were born female in Ashington, you weren't allowed to play on. You know, you just didn't even think you you wanted to play on the backside of the house where the boys all played in the alley and they played soccer because. On the other side of the house was, um, you know, what little front gardens these houses had were on one side of the row houses all the way down the street, and there was a nice path down in front of the, the houses, and the mums used to, get, you know, all gather out there and chat over the garden fence, and the girls used to get together and play hopscotch and, you know, and other girly games, I guess you'd call them, of the era, you know, but... The boys didn't go into the, the mums and the girly area and the girls didn't go into, you know, the, the, the dads and the boys area because every day there were, as soon as school got out, there were mini games going on all the way down on the back side of the houses. You know, you know, you know on each side there were 10-foot walls all the way down the street and they were playing soccer games with tennis balls and this was the culture, you know, the... The girls were expected to stay in the house and do chores, you know, and help mom, you know, with cooking and cleaning and things of that nature. The boys were given less responsibility. They were expected to go out into the streets and, and play at the end of school and just get out from under the mom and the girl's feet while they're doing the chores. Once the chores were over, the mums and the girls would, you know, all meet up in front of the house and, you know, and chat, and the boys would be out playing at the back. But then at age, you know... <laughs> 12, 13, 14, 15, the script flipped. Because at those ages, the boys were going down the mines. They were working for the mining company. 
you know, and, you know, and, and so, you know, and a lot of these, you know, like the Charlton's father worked in the mines all his life, a lot of these boys, all they had to look forward to was being a miner for the rest of their life because that's what virtually everybody of a working class standing did in that community. So the girls were being groomed to be housewives, you know, and keep the home fires burning, you know, and when they played games, they weren't really competitive games. They were kind of fun, cooperative type games like yeah. hopscotch, mm-hmm. you know, and so they weren't being built to be competitive. You know, the boys, on the other hand, were being built to be competitive and they would get down in the, the knockdown drag out of small sided games and, and the inevitable fist fights that resulted when there was a disagreement. And, you know, and but that was all part and parcel of being in this down and dirty blue collar working class mentality, you know, where really and truly never the twain shall meet. You know, mums and girls one side of the house, you know, boys and dads the other side of the house in a completely different environment. One, the men the boys being prepared to be warriors and other, the women being prepared to be nurturers, you know, and to get along and cooperate in these, you know, fun, but, you know, inconsequential games mm-hmm. that were going on on the other side of the house, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 It does. Well, um, what, as we talk, you know, for the audience to, to, to understand like where we've, where we're coming from on these topics, what are we missing? Like what else did we discuss that we wanted to bring up that we haven't just yet? I think the importance of being a girl playing the legends philosophy and why I would argue girls get the most out of the legends philosophy than boys. I would go right along with that argument. Tenfold. I think, and it's, it's become better. I feel like as we, as a society have celebrated more women taking leadership roles and being more powerful and owning their own power. But, um, growing up, I think I said this earlier, I think I grew up maybe with a silver spoon in my mouth being Andy's daughter and growing up in this philosophy because I was taught from a very young age that failure was a good thing. Yeah. And that, yeah, it was a painful silver it spoon. It was, <laughs> it was, yeah, <laughs> for both of us, I think. <laughs> but you know, I wasn't afraid to fail because, like he mentioned earlier, you know, we were told to do a maradona or a step over or whatever move in our own box, right in front of our own goal, and to not be afraid of that and to lose the ball and have it, us be scored on a million times mm-hmm. and to accept that and learn that from that and grow until we were given the. Um, the right of until we earned the right to be able to decide where we wanted to do our moves. And I think it made me very fearless. It made me, um, not afraid of, of losing anything. And even though I didn't go on much to my father's dismay to play professional soccer or like go very high in the game, I think that that lack of feel of failure did more than I can attribute anything doing in my life. Like it's the best gift I could have ever been given because I was never afraid to be told no, you know, Mm -hmm. in anything that I did. And it carried over in so many ways to me going on to be a performer, to doing theater, because in that it was very much the exact same feeling I had being in that box and losing that ball and getting scored on as a kid, because I had to get up in front of thousands of audience members and not know what was going to happen. And I could screw up royally and they would be laughing at me. And I wasn't scared of that. I mean, I think I always had those nerves and I think it's good to have those nerves forever, but it didn't terrify me. It didn't scare me. I, Mm -hmm. and not only that, but it became something that I craved that I needed more of that I wanted in every aspect of my life. And I think it's why I was able to become who I am and manifest the things that I've manifested in my life and live the life I live now because I never saw a door that I didn't feel like I could go through. And you, you taught me something and that was that, uh, that, 
to be maybe truly complete in life, um, it, you need uh, you know, a, a number of different experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, but three of the keys, obviously education, academics, you know, that's absolutely vital. And then elite physiology. And I think that soccer is the game that builds, you know, truly elite all round physiology. And we've covered that in other episodes, mm -hmm. um, you know, but but then what you showed me being the, you know the eldest of five was um by being a thespian you know by you know being involved with a fantastic drama teacher in high school yeah and by choosing and that was you know this was a, a shocking moment for me when you chose to give up any chance of of going to college it's a hard soccer. decision i knew i was breaking your heart yeah you know <laughs> you you chose to be a, th a thespian you chose to study drama yeah and you know but already at that point in time when you chose that your drama pursuits had educated me about how much more of a poised and capable young lady you'd become, you know, while you were, you know, you know what was that, um, that play that you were in that, um, <laughs> that, that you were that animal and Dr. Seuss and you oh, played. Oh, Seuss called the musical. Yeah, Seuss called the musical. <laughs> in high school. And you played, uh, what, what was the, the, the part you played? I played the sour kangaroo. The sour kangaroo. And, you know, you were out there on the ragged edge and, <laughs> and loud and rowdy and unembarrassed by being loud and rowdy in front of a big audience and, mm -hmm. and did a fantastic job. And all those experiences watching you in the drama setting and realized, realizing that you'd largely conquered nerves and, you know, your trepidation at handling new challenges made me realize that um that yes soccer is a performance sport and yes the way that we play it is the most challenging way to play the game and and builds brave creative leadership whilst extremely fatigued you mm -hmm. know whilst you know really you know experiencing a lot of negatives that mm -hmm. you know that other people maybe don't ever experience in their life the thespian environment and being put up in front of a whole audience and basically having to do the most outrageous public speaking that you'll ever have to do mm -hmm. is an amazing builder of concept, of concept and confidence. It is, yeah. You know, and so when when you came to me and said, hey, Dad, I think I'm going to quit Premier Soccer and play for the high school boys team because I want that experience, but also I want to go to college and study drama. And I don't know if you've really realized this to this day because, you know, basically you were turning around to me and saying... Instead of getting a full ride scholarship, which I always thought you were capable of getting, Dad, I want you to pay about a hundred thousand for my education. <laughs> you know, and so you know, it wasn't just the fact that you were going to go and do drama; it was the fact that I was going to have to actually pay a significant amount of money for your education that I wouldn't have had to pay if you'd have gone to college and gotten a scholarship mm -hmm. to play soccer, which you were eminently capable of doing. And so, so you know, you know, this was a, a moment in time where I had to, you know, bite on my pride and my ego, and I had to say, "I'm behind you, Brit." You know, now, you know, how do we go and and, and find out, you know, where it is the best place to go for a drama education? And if you remember, I pay for you to go to New York on a on a trip that cost four figures. Mm -hmm. You know, to actually attend audition for all those big schools, Juilliard. Right, right, yeah. and and uh, you know, and see if you could get on board with one of the bigger drama schools mm -hmm. you know and uh, in the end I was really happy about this because you went to KU <laughs> and you know and got a fantastic experience yeah young you know, love you know. <laughs> I followed my heart instead of but you had a <laughs> the things we do. Yeah, drama experience. No, it was a great program. I don't regret but, it at all. But yeah. But at some time in this podcast, and this is a good segue to it, I wanted to tell the story about how one day I was at home mm -hmm. and I got a phone call from Brittany. I've heard the story twenty-five times, <laughs> probably more. And uh, 
and, uh, and, and Brittany said, Dad, I need you to drive up to KU, you know, because I've got something really important I want to cover with you. You know, and, uh, and I said, Brett, can we do it over the phone? Because KU was 60 miles from where we lived. You know, and can we do it over the phone? Because you know, that's uh, you know, probably a two and a half hour round trip because you know, it wasn't you know, all highway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she said, no, I've got to talk to you face to face. I'm sorry, Dad, but you know, you're going to have to get in the car and drive. You know? And I'm like, <laughs> you know. So I, I jumped in the car, met her at a bar, and I sat down at the table and I looked her in the eye and I said, you're pregnant, aren't you? <laughs> rude rude that you jumped right to that <laughs> what's his name I'll kill him <laughs> yeah, so I did the dad thing and my worst fears came out you know so you know I wasn't a brave creative leader at that moment you know I was a fearful dad. dad and uh you know and she she looked at me and she's like no dad don't be stupid I'm not pregnant and you know, and, and, uh, it made the trip worthwhile just hearing those words. Those, <laughs> they were golden. And uh, you know, and she said, "I want you to read this." And she pushed an envelope across the table to me, you know. And I pulled the you know the papers out of the envelope. And what Britt had written is is a, um, a an initial curriculum for Shining Stars, you know, which was uh, you know, a, or is still a drama program that is is done in various. Uh, areas around the nation still to this day, Shining Stars was uh, a um, drama equivalent of Happy Feet, which mm-hmm. was our two, three, still is our two, three, four, five-year-old program, you know, in preschools and outside of preschools, you know, that feeds into, you know, our legends clubs around the country. And what Brittany had done is, is written a curriculum to do the same with Shining Stars. Now, bear in mind that Brittany, when she went to college, opened her own Happy Feet franchise. So Brittany was going into preschools and teaching story time with a soccer ball, which is what Happy Feet is all about, which is an incredibly engaging way of getting kids to play with a soccer ball that is Bob the Bobcat, so it's their pet animal. He was doing theater with a soccer ball. Yeah, it's doing theater with a soccer <laughs> ball. Exactly. And the kids, yeah. and I the mean, kids, they're three and four. Yeah, they absolutely love it because yeah. they're part of doing theater. They're, they're part, part of, of story, story time with a soccer ball. Yeah, yeah exactly. It and wasn't a far jump to go from Happy Feet to Shining Stars. It was just take away the ball, add a few different games, and then you've got theater for that age. Right. So, you know, what we're doing is, you know, with Shining Stars, which, you know, Brittany started and, and you know, and helped grow is, uh, is, you know, we're getting these kids to get used to public speaking mm-hmm. when they are two, three, four, and five to the degree yeah. that they're capable. But the great thing that I think Shining Stars had that Happy Feet didn't, and I still to this day think is a huge selling point for Shining Stars above Happy Feet is it had a performance. Every eight weeks, those parents got to come in and see those kids put on a play and watch the kids get out there and be terrified and overcome that. And, you know, I think that was an invaluable thing for those children. Right. Developmentally, kids don't start to feel public shame until typically around age six. Mm -hmm. Usually it's around kindergarten, first grade, when they start to feel that public shame. However, the biggest fear that exists in the world, and it's not even close, is public speaking. And so there is no better time to introduce kids to public speaking and to help help them to build an aptitude and a skill set toward it than before they start to feel public shame. (laughs) So they never know that shame. If If I can get back to the theme of this podcast... Um, you know, we're talking about girls mm-hmm. and 
girls have a bigger issue because they're not expected to be that lead dog. Yeah. You know, they're more go along to get along. Girls have a bigger issue with public speaking. Yeah. Than, you know, the hunter, warrior, gladiator. They do. You know, male. And I can't count how many times we had like a three, four year old girl who was too scared to say even one word in Mm -hmm. the performance, like timid in the background. And the thing I love the most about Shining Stars was mentoring those kids through that eight week program. And in the final performance, like a kid like that, even getting up in as a sheep saying ba, one ba in front of the crowd was mm-hmm. like gold. Like I, and you, the thing with that was w- in that kind of situation, when that kid said ba on stage, we celebrated that ba like it was the best thing that kid could have done in their entire sure, life. Sure, sure. I celebrated and in bars a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Different kind of ba. <laughs> oh, sorry. I just, but you I know, so trying. all that kid knew was how amazing and how happy that that made them feel. And I hope that that carried on into their future years and, and going back to what we talked about, the Legends Club being great uh, for girls, as you just said, Andy, girls um, are not expected to be that leader and to have that public speaking ability and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's the same in soccer. They are not expected to Bingo. be the individual player that's no. going to get the, the ball number 10. and it's going to yep. do the different and it's yeah. going to, lo- you know? And I think the Legends Club giving them that platform and asking them to that to do that and to flourish that side that it's usually, you know, there and nobody really touches it. And something the Legends Club could give them almost that theater couldn't is that that you have a group of women, a fellow players on your team that were all raised in the Legends philosophy. And so they're also celebrating you doing that. Yeah, yeah. Which is incredible. Like, I don't think I really understood until now how much that meant to me because as a woman, the, like, acceptance of my peers and my peers celebrating me meant a ton to me. And for us all have to, to have been raised that way, like we would all celebrate someone doing a Maradona and destroying someone. Like we were the ones yelling for that, like how amazing that was and saying, yeah, you got this. Or, you know, our teammates would get the ball and we would be the first one to say, take them on, go for the goal. You know, maybe to the expense of ourselves, like maybe we were set up for the, in the perfect position to get that pass, that easy sure. pass and shoot. And but instead we would be like, do it, take them on. And, and when you when you moved to Doug McLagan's team, yeah. that, that wasn't the ethos. That's what I was going to talk about earlier was, you know, right before I took on that role with the high school team and was one of the first players on the, and on the first team we ever had in our high school, I was playing on Dougie McLagan's team, which I love Dougie, like, with my heart and soul. Like, he's an amazing man. And that team was an incredible team. I mean, they were winning state championships left and right. They were an amazing group of athletes, an amazing group of girls, but... I couldn't handle it like in the terms of like those players they were playing a very strategic game they were playing to win and they were damn good at it and they were winning every single game they were unstoppable but growing up with the legends philosophy I couldn't be another like part of the wheel cog in the wheel yeah I couldn't I felt like a cog in the wheel it didn't have any depth it didn't have any meaning to me it didn't stimulate my desires because I would get the ball and I would be told to pass it immediately because I was part of a bigger play that we would, and we'd spend every practice working on those set plays and we would have it down to a science about it. But it just meant like me touching the ball once me touching the ball twice, like me just being another cog in the wheel. And 
what ended up happening was I balked the system and I would get the ball and I would say, screw you, I'm taking it myself. <laughs> and I would take on, you know, like however many players were in front of me. And I would get screamed at by my other teammates because I ruined our set play. I would get screamed at by the coach. And I balked the system so many times on that team that I ended up in the state championship on the sidelines. I played maybe a minute of that game and it just lost its appeal for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing that people don't realize um, that will, you're not going to trans bring that wheel with you for the to other the areas level. of your life yeah. no yeah as soon as you're done playing on that team in that high school or that club team that's whatever it. that's it yeah you know wh what this, this what are you gonna Brazilian. bring <laughs> 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 can i can i jump in here because um th there's a lot of people in the audience now that are listening and they're saying you know well you know when the when does the team come first you know and you know they're listening to brit say that you know she wanted to be more of an individual and not put the team first at age 16, 17, 18, you know, and, and I think this is the Brazilian difference, is that, it, you know, Brazil as, you know, I have been brought up to understand through all the years that I've studied the game, is the country that has more put the individual first mm -hmm. than the team first, you know, and, you know, and yet, the, you know, the dribbler, goal scorer, the guy that's selfish, like the great Brazilian players, is the most vilified player, you know, <laughs> in our soccer society. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're the ones that, as soon as they fail, everybody's laughing at them. Everybody's saying, see what I mean? You know, you know they're all show and no go. And, you know, they're, they're not a team player. You know, and yet Brazil's won five World Cups. And I was looking just the other day to see how they did in the rest of the World Cups. And they were always there or thereabouts in every World Cup. Mm -hmm. You know, in terms of, the, you know, their average finish, they're by far and away the most successful team mm -hmm. in world history. Brazil is the only country who played in every single World Cup and also never not right. advanced a group stage. Wow. Yeah, so, it's so amazing. Well, you know, what you have to realize is that way too early, even in soccer society, we're asking our players to play the team game yeah mm -hmm. and as a result you know we're not going to as the usa we're not going to win a world cup mm -mm. because we don't have in our soccer society the ethos the yeah. mentality to encourage everybody to take on it's even easier to fall into the pattern of the team game with women though because we're gr like as a society we're taught right. to be team players we're taught to share mm -hmm. we're taught to help your fellow woman up and raise mm -hmm. them up it's like by giving them things there's, a very, there's yeah. a very funny story about what you just said, Andy, and it's the World Cup of 2002, right before the final, Brazil and Germany, uh, our coach um, called up a meeting, and that was all this... To Scolari? Yes. Yeah. Um, that was all this discussion about Ronaldo and Rivaldo, they both had five goals prior to the final, so they were like fighting for being the top scorer of the tournament and of the Brazilian national team. And he called a meeting with the team and said a bunch of stuff and said, hey, you know, got to put the team first. You know, who doesn't matter who scores. We're all going to win the World Cup, blah, blah, blah. Kind of indirectly talking to them. And then he left the room. And then Rivaldo said, I just want to say one thing. I'm not passing the ball to Ronaldo. <laughs> I'm going to be. Screw you. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care. You know, <laughs> when we win the World Cup, they're going to talk about who scored the goal and it's going to be me. And everybody, <laughs> he broke the ice. Everybody started laughing. Then fast forward, the game happens. First goal of Brazil. Rivaldo gets the ball outside of the box, rips a shot. Oliver Kahn, who was 
uh, awarded the best player of the tournament because they pick before the final, gives a rebound right in front of his goal, and Ronaldo scores a tap-in. <laughs> and then the second goal, Cleberson plays the ball, uh, Rivaldo opens up his leg, let, his, let it go through, and then Ronaldo controls it and plays <laughs> in the corner, 2-0, Ronaldo scores two goals. Then they're in the bus celebrating, and Ronaldo, guys, 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 I want to say one thing. Just want to say, if Rivaldo had passed me the ball, we would not win the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> just want to point because that one, out. <laughs> because one goal was a rebound, and the other one, he just <laughs> let it go through. <laughs> so, I mean, but that's, but that's the mentality, you know? Rivaldo was yeah. like, I'm not passing him the ball. I'm not passing <laughs> yeah. the ball. I'm going to be the one, you know? And at the end, it works. Yeah. You know? yeah. And you have the individuals that are going to, you know, bring their responsibility to them. I always like uh, to think... When you're passing the ball, you're passing the responsibility 100%. to someone yeah, else. Yeah, you are. You know, and as a leader, you know, and I always talk about the great players are the players who take on the responsibility, like mm -hmm. Maradona beating seven players to score that goal. Didn't, he didn't pass the responsibility. He's like, it's mine. I'm yeah. going to take it. Yep. And I think that's a fantastic trait that we try to give to our kids to have that confidence and to try to be that person yeah to, to that end Andy there's somewhere along the line you made the statement that like my goal as a coach is to just to develop people that when uh, you know in the boardroom at whatever career they have later in life when the company's going under and the CEO comes in and says hey guys we need something creative and unique and we need somebody willing to do that rather than the past first people around the table that are like who can I give this responsibility to the legend in the room mm -hmm. whether it's their first day on the job or their you know 15th year on the job puts their hand in the air says I have an idea let's go for it not worried about failure yeah. not worried about passing on the responsibility but instead saying give it to me let's make it happen I'm I gonna this. bulldog this I got this I'm gonna be creative and I'm gonna make it happen and yeah. it's and it's and it's that story that I think best exemplifies the brave creative leadership yeah you know, soccer is a vehicle for teaching life lessons and perhaps to really tie it into this specific episode Society expects and celebrates and is manuf and manufa has manufactured it so that that is more likely to happen for men mm -hmm. than they than they do for women, mm -hmm. and that's why, as to Brittany's point earlier, legend soccer and the way in which we teach the game is more important for girls to I have agree. access to I than agree. it is for boys um, because we got to change it. And something that I feel like we haven't pointed out too that was invaluable was not, so <laughs> I feel like this conversation we've been having through this podcast kind of makes it sound like we're creating really selfish, like almost like uh, we are creating leaders, but almost like really like pushing people out of the way and not celebrating other people. But like growing up in the legends philosophy, we would have some practices on our legends team with some of my teammates, women teammates, and we would like, be doing one-on-ones but it would take a turn somewhere and mm -hmm. we'd get really physical and a couple times like we'd be chasing each other the ball's long gone and we're like actually wrestling pulling hair like I have a teammate who we still laugh because she has a scar on her forehead from me <laughs> scratching her in the middle of the forehead uh, after a one-on-one -on -one practice that ended brutal it was her and her two friends that were twins they both took can, me can on can I jump in here yeah go ahead because uh, the, the twins Taylor and Kate Campione uh, <laughs> and Mad Dog and, and, and Mad Dog um and uh, Caitlin uh <laughs> you know, they kind of ganged up on Brittany in the situation. And the twins' father was my co-coach on the team, Dan Campione. And you guys would stand up and egg it on. And, and uh, you know, we were off to the side and, and uh, you know, this, this thing started brewing. And, you know, we, we could see the three of them going after Brittany. 
you know, and uh, and I I said to Dan, I said, uh, uh, yeah, Brittany can handle herself, and and uh, you know, and so they started to get into it, and Dan came up to me, said, you, you want me to step in? I said, no, I let it play out, you know, and. <laughs> <laughs> and the four of them were just going at it. The ball had long gone. Yeah, I know where the ball was. We were. Was there a ball and at all? There was, I know. <laughs> and, and, you know, what, I mean, what, what insane coaches would do this? But, you know, it was basically, you know, three quarters of the, the group involved were our daughters. And so, you know, yeah. we just crossed our arms and waited for it to, to play out. Yeah, but where I was yeah. going was this, like, it got bad and we there was blood drawn and we were in, not in a good way by the end of this fight. None of us. But at the end, you you didn't let us walk away with feelings of hatred. You made us stop no matter how mad we were at, at each other. And you made us, like, give each other hugs or, like, say almost the equivalent of good game, you know? Yeah. We were always – and you made us remember at the end of that – because that, that was not the only time that happened. <laughs> like, I feel like it probably happened more than it didn't happen. But we always left, and I remember – leaving all those practices always still feeling like we were a team and always laughing about it yeah, yeah, yeah like we always could laugh about it and I think that was invaluable too because we understood at the end of the day we were always going to be a team but we celebrated each other and we celebrated the fact that we could be powerful well because be strong. because the this the, the 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 method was not built so that anybody thought they were better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Everybody recognized within the team structure that we're all better as a result of our teammates mm -hmm. being the ball hog, going for it, being creative. And you know what, if I, if I'm going to survive in this environment, I got to step it up and do the same. Yeah. And I owe, I have that responsibility to my teammates and it's, it's that culture, that competitive culture that I think is paramount to, <laughs> yeah. to, to us being successful, creating those, those kids that become adults in the boardroom. Yeah. You, you, and in the boardroom, you celebrating somebody else like you would step up and say I got this I can do it but if your person next to you was also like a fellow legend or had that kind of philosophy in life yeah. them stepping up and saying I got this and being able to say sweet put me to work we both got this yeah. like let's yeah, both let's show yeah. what we have let's both bring it to the table and let the best man win yeah. but, but let's look at what this did for us as a team when we played against, out, against outside opposition mm -hmm. because although we didn't think within the team that we were better than anybody else and, and, and as coaches we brought our players up to think that we were all equal but we were all equal geniuses mm -hmm. yeah you know and uh but here's what happened when we played against outside opposition we always believed we could beat them yeah we always yeah. believed that you know that one maradona turn we were one maradona turn and a 35 yard rocket away from winning the game or tying the game or you know whatever the situation yeah. was so we had this incredible self-belief individually and as a unit that we could turn a game around that we were losing. Yeah, because all you it know? took was one player. Like sure. it wasn't, we didn't rely on a set it. play. Yeah, we yeah. didn't rely on one player. We though. could be down three and three to one and have like five minutes left in the game. And we knew that all it took was that many players creating one incredible and brilliant move and we would be ahead again. You right, know? and it could just, it just as equally, like on your team, you know, we had a we had a guy that uh, that played a lot of center striker, but also played a lot of sweeper, Brian Williams. Mm -hmm. You know, and Brian would go the whole length of the field <laughs> yeah. and score an absolutely unbelievable goal. So we had defenders that could literally beat three and four players and score unbelievable goals. Mm -hmm. You know, as well as midfielders and, and forwards that could do the same thing, and even goalkeepers that could do the same thing. Yeah. You know, and and so the, the team as a unit had this incredible aura of self belief. Yeah. Because they looked around them and they knew that on any given day, any one of the players on their team could step up and make it a hellaciously awesome play. But that's what I hated about playing on Dougie's team was, yeah, we would win every game, but it didn't feel like a meat and potatoes win, if that makes sense. Like, it felt like a surface win. Like, it felt like we did it, like, we did... 
with us, with the legends, when we won, we won because we had created some incredible moments, like moments that had every single parent on the sidelines up on their feet, moments that had the other team screaming and the other playmates on their faces because they didn't know what to do with us. And in those moments are what we lived for and even though we won every game with Dougie's team those moments weren't there like no it's, one was taking on four players destroying every player and scoring a goal in the upper corner of the I'm, net I'm, I'm going to disagree with you because there was one player on your team that uh, that, that could do that Aaron Aaron Ellison <laughs> but and, she was a legends player yeah. <laughs> she grew yeah. up with me yeah. <laughs> and uh, just the other day uh, I got into an old computer that I hadn't opened for a long time and I stumbled across a, a, a high school clip of, of Aaron playing for St. Thomas Aquinas when they won the, the state championship. And uh, she was going one-on-one -on -one down you know, the wing. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking deep into the corner, one-on-one -on -one with the defender. And she, she uh, beat the defender with a swivel-swivel move. Mm -hmm. And you know, she was literally right at the end line. The ball was right just on the cusp yeah. of going out of play for a goal kick. Yeah. And she hit a Roberto Carlos shot with the outside of her right foot that bent into the far top corner of the net. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. And she I had a camera'd shot that it. Could kill. I, yeah, she had a great shot. She did. And I, I camera'd it. I've got it on video, albeit without any sound. But I've actually got this highlight now on video, and I'm going to post it to social media. You know, and she was, you know, the other player on Dougie's team. There was a girl that joined us later, Ashley Daniels, that also played on Dougie's team that yeah. went and played at Creighton. Yep. But she wasn't quite quite as creative as you and and Erin. Mm -hmm. You know, but the the two of you were able to just destroy people with your moves. And they were better on Dougie's team though, because they weren't like me being raised in this Legends philosophy. It was like such a part of who I was. I could not handle not seeing the other players play that way. You like were the they, rebel. they could stomach it. I couldn't stomach it. Yeah, you were the you were the out there on the ragged edge rebel. Yeah. And she had a cause. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's, well, it's interesting, uh, you know, before we move on, uh, I'd like to get back to um, Iceland and Icelandic women because um, over the last few decades, they've punched above their weight. And uh, they've done an incredible job of, um, of as a team unit, uh, achieving greater success than any group of women from a 330,000 nation should ever achieve. And why is this? You know, and, and so this is getting back to the, you know, the, the sexism. And you know, Iceland is widely regarded as the most equal society on earth. Women in Iceland are way more equal, mm -hmm. apparently, according to you know, uh, worldwide public opinion, than you know any other women anywhere on the planet, and I'm not necessarily saying that they are completely equal, you know. And there's there's you know there's no society yet where I think, you know, that you know that sexism sexism isn't a part of society to a certain degree, mm -hmm. you know. But the Icelandic women, uh, you know, were brought up, you know, playing with the boys, you know, you know, playing to their ability level, you know, and you know, and so so many of the things that don't happen in other parts of the world. You know, Iceland got it right. Mm -hmm. Here's what they haven't got right. The Brazilian part. What it's is that? The skill. It's the ethos. It's the creativity. It's the oh. bravery. It's they out don't there have on the, the ragged moves. edge. No. They don't have the moves. It's, it's, team, it's team soccer. I don't I, think I knew that about Icelandic that. society is about... You so know, wait, how are they taught to be individually? It's just the society. Individually, they're taught that life is hard. And life is hard. You know, they can walk outside of the door into a, you know, a North Atlantic gale 
And they have to deal with that on their way to school in the morning. You know, so you know, they're really, really under the gun in terms of the environment they live in. It's pretty cold most of the year. You know, even the summer in June when we were there, it was pretty cold most days. You know, you're, you're pretty well wrapped up. I mean, you're not out there sunbathing on the beach. You know, suntan you, doesn't sell a lot in you, Iceland. You wore a coat. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so it's, it's the fact that the Brazilians celebrate the skill. They celebrate the moves. You know, I remember that from my, the only recollection I have of that from my childhood is when we'd go to the beach, there was always like Brazilians or Hispanics that were playing just a game of pickup soccer on the beach. And as a kid, I remember you'd always throw me into those games, like usually grown adults. And you'd be like, you'd walk me up as like a six, seven year old and be like, can my kid play with you? And they'd be like, okay, sure. You know, like they'd be like, okay, now we have to babysit this child. You remember that time at New Smyrna Beach? Yeah. We walked down the beach and there was a bunch of, you know, Hispanics, you know, playing playing soccer. Yeah. And uh, we watched for a while and then, you know, I, I, I sauntered up and said, um, you know, you might have been about 11 or 12. Yeah, a little I, older at that point. You know, I, I sauntered up and I said, uh, um, can my daughter Brittany play with you? And they looked at me like, Nah, You're not, not going to babysit your not, child. Not really, man. You know, and, yeah. uh, but they didn't have the guts to say no yeah. for some reason. And so Brittany stepped into the game, and the first time she got the ball, she Maradona turned <laughs> around man. this full-grown man. <laughs> he, fold up, he fell on his face. <laughs> it, it fell but you down. know what was amazing and about you, those pickup games? is. But, but hold on a second. Would, yeah. Everybody else, when he fell over... So cheered that's and what cheered. I was gonna say yeah. you know yeah. they were just absolutely celebrating the fact that this it's little what girl I loved about the Hispanic but it's the same with Brazilians like when I went to college I would play with the Brazilians um at KU and I loved playing with them because they had that same philosophy while other people would get pissed and like ignore me or like didn't want to play with me anymore because I would do the skills around them the Brazilians when I played with them oh man I would destroy one of their their friends or their teammates and they would like all but pick me up and like <laughs> cheer and scream and be like, exactly. but con <laughs> contrast the two societies, right? You know, you're from Rio de Janeiro, right? Yeah. And, and you know, you go out and you're on the no, beach Felipe's, and it's, 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 uh, it's, it's 90 degrees, 95 degrees and everybody's playing with a ball and everybody's partying and doing tricks and doing moves mm -hmm. or you're from Iceland and the volcano is erupting <laughs> And a gale force wind is blowing That's in from the sea. And all you've got to eat is fish. <laughs> Fermented <Dad>. shark. <laughs> the poor people in Iceland are like pissed right now. But look look at what created the culture. The seven people you know, from Iceland. <laughs> all the all the Iceland podcast listeners. We have so many if of them. If you haven't been to Iceland, you should go. It's an amazing country. <laughs> It's, it's, it's After incredible. what Andy described, no thank no. you. <laughs> <laughs> and we've currently lost all of our Iceland viewers, <laughs> our listeners. But then you can go to the Blue Lagoon and you can bathe in this unbelievable heated sauna, outdoor sauna that's you know that's that's powered by you know volcanic and you know, whatever gases from under the the surface, and and you know you can spend hours in this incredible place and come out of this Blue Lagoon feeling like. A million dollars, yeah. feeling better than you've ever felt in your <laughs> life. It's just incredible. So I'm you sure know. some of it is like the environment they grew up in, but also like I think it is, I mean, tell me if I'm right. Why do you think they celebrate it more in Brazil? Because they grew up with the skill? You uh, I, it's cultural. I mean, Brazil is all about... All their heroes have it. Samba, freedom, you know, let's party, let's be happy, you know, let's do something cool, let's do something that looks good, you know, Brazil. Um, the kind of the slogan for the national team is uh, Joga Bonito, which is play beautiful. Like okay. if Brazil is winning, but not playing beautiful, it's not good enough. A lot of times <laughs> we're like, I mean, when Dunga was the coach before the World Cup, he won the Copa America, the Confederations Cup, first in the qualifying, like he was winning, literally. 
everything and everybody was pissed because he wasn't bringing Ronaldinho to the national team because <laughs> they were playing like a super tactical They're playing like structure England. soccer you know it worked <laughs> but it wasn't fun to watch nobody liked it nobody yeah. enjoyed it it's the same nowadays like TT is the same thing you know and now with Tells Marta Neymar. it's the same for women yeah exactly yeah. You know, so who, who do we like to watch? You know, do, do we want to watch the, you know, the, the, the English national team, you know, play their boring <laughs> game again for the, you know, the, the 20th World Cup in a row? You know, or do we want to watch the Brazilians no, where I'm you just don't know the, what's going to happen next? The most fun thing that to watch is I literally sometimes when I'm bored, I go to YouTube and I Google games from Brazil, like from the 90s, late 90s and early 2000s. Just in Copa Americas, in Confederations Cup, World Cups, and I just watch like extended highlights of those games. So fun. I mean, mm-hmm. you have Brazil versus Argentina. Brazil is already up 3 0, and you see Ronaldo, Rivaldo, Ronaldinho going crazy when they got the ball, wanting to score four, five, six. Uh, you know, it was just, it's just, it was just crazy. It was yeah. just so the other day, fun to watch. Just the other day, I, I went back and I watched Brazil all the way through the 1982 World Cup. You know, the one that they didn't win, mm-hmm. you know, and it was just incredible. They were absolutely out of this world, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so, you know, it's as much as I don't want to be seen to be, you know, the same as anybody else. I'm kind of the same as you in that respect. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but the 99 Olympics, like when the woman, I mean, they didn't have the best skill ever, but there were so many women on that team. I think the reason why that's such an iconic game is there were so many women on that team that took big roles and stepped up and they made those winning plays. And Brandi Chastain with her goal, with her PK and you know, tearing her shirt off. I mean, they were big personalities, weren't afraid to shine. And uh, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, we were at the the finals of the World Cup in France the last time around. Mm -hmm. And the players that made the difference were the creative ones, Mm -hmm. you know. And, you know, without a doubt, you've got to, you know, like... Tobin Heath, the skater girl, you know, is uh, uh, you know listening to Anson talk about Tobin and you know how she used to cruise around North Carolina's campus yeah. on her skateboard, you know, and uh, you know, and one time, you know, had you know, literally the skateboard went underneath the car when she went over the hood, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, you know she was out there on the ragged edge, and you know who's more out there on the ragged edge than than Megan Rapinoe? Mm-hmm. You know, Pino, you know, walks oh, around yeah. with pink hair and you know, yeah. purple hair and, you know, and she's always taken on the establishment, you know. But Chastain ripping her shirt off and showing her a sports bra. Yeah. Like how big of a moment was that for young? I mean, I was Massively what? Like, edgy. I was nine yeah. and seeing that made a huge, profound impact on my life. That right. one moment. But the point I'm making is that the U.S., you know, without Kristen Press, without Tobin Heath, without Rapino. Um, you know, and, and without Rose Lavelle, you know, the younger one that's, you know, that's really starting to establish herself as a great dribbler goal scorer now, they wouldn't have won the World Cup, mm-hmm. you know, and they were the Brazilian team of that World Cup, but nowhere near as good relatively as the Brazilian team of 1982 no. or 2002, or as, or but, but they had the extra creative edge, mm-hmm. which was what created and, and allowed them to score you know, the key goals that took them to the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And that's all it takes is a player that's got that creative difference. Yeah. You know, and they can be the leaders on the team that get them over the edge, that take them to that big victory. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's one of the things that the USA has had, mm-hmm. but not necessarily because the the establishment, sh- establishment over here is is a creative training establishment. Yeah. You know, it's more because you have a a huge nation with a massive population that because of title nine, you know, you know, the 
girls' soccer because people wanted scholarships, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, parents wanted their kids to get out there and do the, um, you know, the, the team thing and, and be competitive, you know, and they also wanted their kids to get a scholarship to go to college, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, get a good education whilst at the same time playing a sport. And, you know, that created this massive boom in girls' soccer, yeah. you know, that put the USA above the rest of the world. Yeah. But we still haven't created or, you know, uh, and even in any way, shape, form or fashion, built a creative coaching culture. Yeah. And so the USA is gradually being reined in or reeled in mm-hmm. by nations that have a deeper coaching staff background, yeah. more traditional soccer nations that now are starting to catch up or maybe even overtake mm-hmm. the US. And so the dominance the US achieved as a result of Title IX, as a result of going for it, falling by the wayside, is, is gradually disappearing. Yeah. And it's going to get harder and harder for the USA to win World Cups unless we adopt a legend soccer style yep. or a Brazilian soccer style yeah. philosophy and approach. Create you know, martyrs here in the United States. That's it, you know, and do that to the nth degree. And if we yeah. create enough martyrs, two things. We'll win everything for the next 50 years because yeah. we're a huge country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but along the way, well, we'll we not w- only win, but we will entertain. Mm. We'll play Jogo mo- Benito. We'll play the beautiful gr- game. And more girls we want to play soccer because they're seeing Feeds their right. idols. Yeah, well, and more girls will become leaders in life because... The big question is, will we wake up We did it fact? this way. Absolutely. Yeah. It takes that coach, though, I feel like, who instigates that and who really wants that to be able to make that happen. The, Do we um, have a coach like that? I mean, not yet. It's a big question. Not yet. Um, and, and the last Olympics, I think, was an example of that. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, as we started. Uh, Andy, we're, we're coming up toward the end. What, what other things did you want to mention before we uh, wrap this thing up, put a bow on it? Well, I wanted... I still see you know, about uh, 20 are we, pages there. So. <laughs> are, we, are we ready to finish this? There's, there's so much more that we could get into. You yeah. know, but if we're ready to finish, I did want to you know, read something yeah. you know, to finish. Um, so... The, the moral of everything we've discussed, all the success stories, the failures, you know, when you, you know, you're trying to get kids to initially use moves that they're not very good at, res- revolves around the power of establishing a cultural unity, a positive goal-oriented methodology. And for that, we need efficient and effective facilities design and a character stroke skill set optimize an environment that benefits young people and society as a whole. Iceland was a potentially poor and isolated island that became a sporting and societal success story as a result of intelligent investment in the country's youth and soccer infrastructure. We believe that the same blossoming success story is occurring with the Kansas City Legends Soccer Club and our franchise system. Unlike other clubs where the coaches focus too much on developing efficient players, protecting possession, winning games, getting college scholarships, etc., we at the Legends concentrate on developing brave, creative leaders that welcome the opportunity to take huge risks with the ball in their quest to optimize their lifelong potential. We develop people who expect to take charge of the game, and in the long run, make the game of life look easy. What most parents and children don't understand is how most soccer training environments and cultures are designed to develop obedience, regimentation, 
an average physiological and psychological performance rather than elite, brave, creative leadership. We at The Legends breed brave, creative leaders. Mm-hmm. And it's fun, actually, l- listening to you read that because like, there were so <laughs> many moments today where that's what we said. And, yeah. and, 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 uh, and, and it's really fun to get other alumni perspective on yeah. it all. So. It is, to see people who grew up with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, another good episode down. Yes. Uh, we'll probably break this one up into two parts. Um, Brittany, thank you. Thank uh, you. Thank you for, for thank coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been, it's been And fun. I don't know if you guys have heard the song, but if you guys get a chance, everyone listening to the podcast, look up the song Garth Brooks, Standing Outside the Fire. It's one of my favorites, and I think it ties in so well to the whole Legends philosophy. I think you guys will enjoy it, too. And then we weave that into the uh, editing process. Yeah. Well, no, Garth wouldn't go for that. He's. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want to get sued. We can't afford that. (laughs) 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 Well, well, very good. Thanks, guys. Um, And we will see you guys again probably in here in a couple weeks. Actually, we'll definitely see you at the convention. If you're going to be at the coaches convention, all three of us will be there for almost the entire event. Come see us. Check us out. Say hi. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Year, Yeah. Onwards and upwards. (laughs) Goodbye. See you. Bye, guys.